L'audit de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détail sur Audi.fr. Welcome to Tez Podagogy. Today's guest is Professor Kalwant Bhopal, Professor of Education and Social Justice at the University of Birmingham and Deputy Director of the Centre for Research in Race and Education. Today we're talking about racism in schools and how individual teachers can make a difference and how school systems need to be changed. Professor Bhopal, do you want to talk me through what your research has found? So we've had significant advances in policy making. For example, we've had the introduction of the Equality Act, We've had the widening participation agenda, and then we've had other policies in, in HE, such as the Athena Swan and Race Equality Charter. We also have an increase in the numbers of black and minority ethnic students who are studying in higher education. However, I must note there are differences within and between that term of, of, of BME, and I'm aware of the problematics of the term, but I will use it for ease of conversation for this discussion. Okay. However, despite, despite significant advances in policy making and an increase in the numbers of BME students at universities, inequalities continue to persist. And in my research, I argue that's for various reasons. First of all, we have processes of marginalisation and exclusion, which contributes to institutional racism within the system of education. Secondly, we have a lack of representation of BME individuals at senior decision-making roles. Thirdly, we don't have a curriculum that's diverse. And fourthly, we have a system that continues to perpetuate whiteness and white privilege in the perpetuation of who is successful and who is not. It's interesting that, uh, that one of those was curriculum and, and diversity within curriculum. It's obviously a big topic at the moment with uh, Amanda Spielman saying that the curriculum is, is one of the most important facets of a school. Do you, is that the curriculum being uh, the language of the curriculum or the content of the curriculum that's problematic? Well, it's both. Um, I think one of the things, one of the questions that I often get asked is about diversifying the curriculum in higher education. But I think we have to move further back. I think we have to start at primary school level and through secondary school level. And we have to think about, for instance, how history is taught to our young children and how the diversity of our historical experience is hugely important so that young people are growing up with a diverse understanding of our historical experience in the UK rather than it being focused on a, a one single Eurocentric model. Mm. And do you think when teachers are making curriculum choices or schools are making curriculum choices that's uh, an unconscious racism uh, that's at work there that is um, perpetuated perhaps by the structures that those teachers work within? I think it's, that's a very difficult question because I think that there's two things there. First of all, it quite often depends on the leadership team in a particular individual school. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you have a leader who's very interested in a diverse curriculum and wants to look at the way that diversity is portrayed, then that will be pushed from that end. Secondly, I think teachers themselves are under a lot of pressure uh, to make sure that they are teaching particular things that need to be taught in terms of 
of the curriculum itself. Um, I don't think, I like to think that it isn't a conscious thing that's done. I like to think that it's something that teachers need to be aware of in the sense that they need to understand that diversity benefits everyone. Mm. That diversity benefits students, it benefits teachers, it benefits the whole community, and it's it's beneficial for the whole of society. Um, And let's not forget, at the same time, there are social structures and institutional racism that takes place at all levels. But that, I'm not saying that that's an individual issue. I think we have to start dismantling and disrupting the social structures that continue to perpetuate the notion of whiteness. That brings us to another of your four points, the marginalisation and exclusion of BAME students. We can see that clearly in the exclusion stats. If you're a black male, you're much more likely to be excluded from school. Why do you think that statistic uh, exists, a poor understanding of the individuals, of the communities? Is it an indication that teachers are targeting this group of students? Is it a curriculum issue? I think that's a really interesting question and I think that's a really important question because the figures do suggest that if you're likely to be black and male, you're more likely to be excluded and if you're likely to, if you're black and male, you're less likely, sorry, if you're black, you're less likely, for, for example, to leave university with a 2-1 or a 1st, you're more likely to be unemployed six months after graduation, for instance. So I think it's a whole, a whole number of things that contribute to this. Within the school system itself, I think it's really important to look at the reasons why these young boys are being excluded. And secondly, I think that there is, there has been, there's a long history of stereotypes existing around young black boys and what that means, issues of masculinity, issues around um, violence, etc. And I think that those stereotypes continue to exist in all areas of life. And there's a perpetuation that this is the case. Whereas, in fact, if you look at a lot of qualitative research, there's a lot of evidence to actually suggest that these young boys want to go to school, they want to be successful. And in in many cases, it's the system that's holding them back, which is perpetuated by institutional racism. Mm. There's an example, actually, from from my own school days. My my neighbour was of uh, mixed race and um, an incident was reported to the school where the person reporting the incident said oh there was there was 10 lads out on on the street um, and the school said oh could you describe them and they said well nine white lads and, and a black lad and he was the only black student in the school at the time and so you have this situation where it's very easy to identify him in that in, in that description is that a factor as well that the lack of diversity perhaps in some of the more um, outside the big cities is, is an issue for these students? Well, that's really, that's really interesting because one of our pieces of research that we did on looking at in rural areas around rural racism, where the numbers of BME students in schools was very small, um, certainly in relation to the population, and there was an indication that those students were more likely to experience racism within schools and outside of school. Mm. And when they reported incidents of racism, it was denied or it, there, was, there was a notion from the head teachers that, well, actually, racism doesn't happen here. It's like some, someone calling you black is like someone calling you fat. Mm. So I think that that does contribute. Um, and there is, there's also evidence to suggest that in areas, in city areas, for instance, there are, dif- there are different relationships or dynamics of relationships that go on within schools and with teachers. So I think the geographical location in terms of the population, the demographics of an area is very, very important. 
I guess that that leads to sort of a question about training of teachers and and visibility of teachers in mm. the sense that we target our you know we need a diversity drive of teachers in the city so that there's more teachers that look like their students and we need a train better training for teachers in the big cities of dealing with um, issues around institutional racism and unconscious bias, but from what your research suggests is that those those initiatives should be just as targeted in rural areas as they are in those cities. Oh, absolutely. They, they ought to be targeted in all areas. And certainly a piece of research that we carried out about five years ago where we interviewed trainee teachers, they said that they only received one session on race and racism and how to deal with it. So many of our teachers are not equipped with... Uh, they don't have the training in terms of knowing how to deal with racism or racist incidents if they actually take place within the classroom. And I think that's hugely important. And secondly... What's also important is that we need more black and minority ethnic individuals in senior decision-making roles in schools. Head teachers tend to be white and male. Teachers tend to be white and female. That's what the overall statistics tell us. So if you're a young child in a school and you're being taught a curriculum that's not very diverse by somebody who doesn't look like you, you're less likely to be A, motivated to be be want to be a teacher and go into that role i continually meet every day in my life i meet students from bme backgrounds who always say to me why are there not any more why, why are there so few professors of bme background that look like me mm. so that so consequently they say well actually i don't really want to go into academia because some of the things that you've talked about the racism you've experienced and how difficult it is I feel as though there, is, there isn't any, A, there isn't anybody I can identify with, and B, if racism is going on, which it is, I don't think it will be taken seriously. So I think there's a huge um, complexity around these issues and how we tackle them. It's interesting, uh, running on from that, actually, there was an a, uh, academic um, who was talking about the process where uh, ethnic minority teachers, uh, ethnic minority adults become teachers and they see what went wrong in their own schooling and try and fix it. But mm. the system says that that way of fixing it, that may be making the curriculum more uh, culturally re relevant to the students they are, it may be uh, the way they handle behaviour, is deemed to be wrong and those people end up leaving the profession. Is there a systemic change that needs to be made where we, we acknowledge the the sort of experience of these teachers coming in and say, okay, if, if you if you think this is the best best way of approaching this, have a go, and it might be different to what we we're used to. Um, I think it depends on what that on what that change is. Mm -hmm. um, I think we have to be very careful in the sense that um, we have to ensure that we are tackling some of these issues that may be very sensitive, carefully, um, and one size doesn't actually fit all. I think it's really important to acknowledge um, and understand that sometimes when individuals do take on this role of being a teacher and then they become a role model, not because they want to, just because they're in that particular role, then that, that for them as an individual brings added responsibilities. Um, and quite often, certainly in higher education, BME lecturers and BME academics tend to be the ones that BME students come to mm. for support for all sorts of different things. So there's an added burden for them. So I think that, the, so in, in the one sense, we shouldn't, the responsibility shouldn't just be on, the B, on BME academics. It's everybody's responsibility to ensure that we are addressing these issues around marginalization and exclusion and racism, whether that be through further training 
from individuals who know some of the issues to everybody. But I think my worry is that we shouldn't compartmentalise it to just one group looking at one group. Mm. It's interesting actually you say that because we had a piece written by a head teacher called um, Angela Brown earlier early last year where she was explaining that in the school she'd been in, if there was an issue with a BAME student, they automatically said, oh, Angie, can you go and speak to that student? You know, you know, you know what it's like or you know, you'll be the best person to talk to her. And she said she was explaining that her experience was completely alien mm. to that student. The only common factor they had was that they both happened to be of an ethnic minority. Mm. Is there anything in your research that suggests that's a common problem for uh, BAME teachers or academics? And if so, you know, how do we change the mindset there? Mm. Well, one of the things that, we found, that I found in my research was that... Um, quite often BME academics are always given a diversity or equity role. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> whether, whether it's something they're interested in or not. So, for example, one of the academics that I interviewed was a historian, and he was a black, is a black male, and he said that I was always told, why don't you sit on the diversity committee? <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you do something on equality? And he said, because I'm not interested in it. Just because you're from a BME background, why should you have that burden mm. of a an assumption being made by your fellow academics that you're interested in it, and B, that just because you're black, it's something you should be addressing. So I think we have to be really careful about the assumptions that, were, that are made, because these do happen everywhere in terms of schools and higher education and colleges, that there is an assumption that BME individuals are interested in diversity. As it happens, uh, the, the small number of figures that I have seen, that uh, BME academics tend to be the ones who are the diversity officers. I don't know whether, I mean, th there's a research project there to, to, to examine whether, is it a catch-22? Is it because of what I've just said? Or is, are they actually interested in it? But some of them are not from our research. Mm. So I think that um, it's this notion, isn't it, of, of what I've just said, that we, we need to be in this together. It has to be the responsibility of us as educators. We have a moral duty to think about social justice and equity. It shouldn't just be the responsibility of one particular group and quite frankly i think bme academics and bme teachers need white allies mm. we need white allies to stand up and say racism is going on because a, for instance a white person saying that will be seen completely different to somebody like myself saying that and quite often i've been told you've just got a chip on your shoulder oh, right. whereas a white person saying that is seen completely differently i mean that that's I mean, that's a problem, I guess, that some teachers might have found as well, that if you're one of the only BAME teachers in a school and you're saying, you know, I feel uh, marginalised or I think these kids that are, you know, perhaps the, the institution, you know, the school is, is racist in the way it's handling them and you might get that reaction as well. And I guess that's one of the solutions we should pinpoint is that this, you know, if you're an individual teacher in a classroom, you still have a degree of, of power, if you like, to make a change. Absolutely. And if you're a white teacher in a, in a classroom, you still have a responsibility to think about, teach about and understand issues of racism. Mm. And does that extend not just to what's taught, but how it's taught and perhaps how you react to certain incidents in the classroom? It, 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 it's a holistic approach, isn't it? It's mm. about, it, yes, it is about that, but it's also about a particular discourse and narrative and it's about the way in which a school understands those issues. So, for example, a lot of my research has been, my earlier research was in schools, 
And as soon as you walk into a school and you walk into the reception and you meet the receptionist and you meet the head teacher, you know what kind of school that is. Mm. As an Asian woman, when I've walked into a school, I know what kind of school that is by the way I'm treated. The assumptions that are made about me, how I'm treated in my professional role, how I'm treated as a woman. So I think that it's a holistic approach in terms of the whole culture of a school and how that needs, in some schools, that needs to be changed. So we, so if racism is going on in schools and teachers complain that their children in a primary school are experiencing racism, we don't want a teacher to say, oh no, we don't have racism here because we're an outstanding school. We want a head teacher to say, let's sit down, let's talk about these issues, let's, see, let's think about how this is going on, because it's everybody's responsibility. And if you're a school that perhaps hasn't had those issues and you think of yourself as quite a diverse school, how explicit should you be in still making those challenges in terms of, okay, how good are we on this? You know, should this be a general cultural thing where we treat each other properly, where we have some set, uh, I guess, um, tenets of, of good behaviour and, and good practice? Or should it be explicitly, you know, what are we doing in this area? Well, how diverse are we? How are we reacting to diversity? I think it should be it should be both, but in some sense it, it depends on the school in terms of how explicit it should be. Because some schools are better at this than others, and mm-hmm. it, often it depends on on the area in which the school is located. Uh, but I think that we do, especially in this current economic, political, and social climate, which is very troubled. I think, mm-hmm. given um, some of the political issues that are going on in the world. I think it's really important for us to be explicit about issues around race and racism. And in the, school, in, in the classroom, we need to tell students and we need teachers to understand that we are living in this climate where racism is considered to be okay in some respects because of the political issues that have gone on. But we have to teach individuals that diversity is a good thing and that acceptance is a good thing. Because I think that if we don't do that in the classroom, then we're lost (laughs) Um, because after that I think it's really really difficult to understand how to make those changes in relation to how racism is understood because there's also a faction of society that feels that we've dealt with racism let's move on Mm. we've had the Equality Act we've had McPherson we're okay with racism let's move on but my new book talks about this how post-racism is a myth Racism continues at all levels of society, and it starts at the school level. And there's also, uh, in some of the inner city schools I, I've been to, they've talked about you know this white versus BAME racism, and they've said that just as complex is, is racism within the BAME community itself. Yes, yeah. And, you know, is there a, a need for a better understanding of that as well, that it's just not a, it's not, it's not a um, sort of white versus BAME problem, it can be very complex within that as well. Absolutely, and I think that there's different layers to that as well, if I may add, in terms Mm. of its complexity. Um, Because I think that stems from, I think it's, in terms of education, if you look at the statistics, the statistics show that Indian children do very well at GCSE, they do very well at A-level. Indian middle-class children, when they go to university, are more likely, I think they're doing... Uh, very on a par with white middle class students actually Mm. so they're doing very well but Pakistani Bangladeshi students are not they're lagging behind so 
in with it's important to break down that category of BME mm-hmm. or BAME and to understand what that means. So I think in some sense you may have some groups who feel more disadvantaged than other BME groups because they feel as they are, that though they are experiencing uh, more racism. What I show in my study, in my research, is that black indiv- black young people, if they go to university, that they that that they are in, the numbers of young black BME students going to university has significantly increased. There are differences within that. But if you're black, you're less likely to leave with a two, one or a first. If you're Indian or Chinese, you will you're more likely to leave with a two, one or a first. But the white but the white students are doing very well. So there are differences within those categories. So it's so there's layers of that complexity which which we've talked about, I think. And we need to acknowledge as a teaching profession and, and in the school structures, I guess, that you know, y- y- this, is, this isn't a blanket BAME policy. No. It's look for the nuance, understand the nuance and, and try and plan your lessons or plan how your, your behaviour or your whole school policy around your individual makeup of your school, perhaps. Absolutely. And think about those differences and how those differences work. So not all children that look Asian are going to be... A certain way mm. so there are differences so that's why I said at the beginning of our discussion that it's really important to understand that there are differences within and between that BME category so it's important to break that down and look at those statistics individually I mean we do use the term BME uh, quite a lot all of us use it a bit for ease but then I think it's very important to, to distinguish what we mean by those individual groups and of course in, in recent months and years, we've had um, um, huge, certainly in, on the south coast, we've had a huge influx of East U- European migrants. So the, we have to look at it from that perspective as well. Mm. And there's a there's a big debate in the in the special education needs uh, sector between you know, do you label a, a, a special education need or do you not? And so you know, there's a there's a school of thought that says, well, what what is uh, what is labelling that child of autism really achieving for that child? And there seems to be a similar thing. Okay, you know, we can't just label this group of students Pakistani or mm. this group of students um, perhaps uh, Caribbean. Um, it, what, what does that achieve? We, are we grouping them too much and assuming they're all the same because of that? I mean, is that something we have to watch for as well? Yes, it is. But I think that there's two issues there, isn't there? First of all, we need to know who our students are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, we do need to know that for in terms of for all sorts of reasons, for funding issues, um, for, for, for reasons in terms of the demographics of our school. So we have to ask those questions. And in HE, we have to ask that question. You don't have to answer it. What, how do you describe your ethnic background? So we need to know which backgrounds our students is so that we can address their needs. That's the first thing. Mm. And the second thing is, is we shouldn't be defining who individuals are. We should let them define themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really important. So it's up to the students themselves or their parents to, to make those definitions, I think, because I think quite often that can go wrong. Mm. And I guess that's where you get very unhelpful assumptions coming in that you spoke of just before. Yeah, and stereotypes specifically made. Uh, one of the things that we did find in, in one of our pieces of research, again, it was in a rural area, which was really interesting, was that um, teachers often made an assumption about a child's parents based on their 
interactions with that child, okay. which happens a lot anyway. Mm. Um, so there were assumptions about particular children um, because they came from a large family or because their father was unemployed. So there, so there are these linkages or assumptions made about educational achievement and attainment in teachers' minds. That may be an unconscious thing. I'm not saying that teachers go out and, and make these assumptions in terms of disadvantaging students. But I think that is something also that we have to be aware of. And I guess, I mean, as the last question, we, we talked a lot about what teachers can do themselves, and, but you've got some very strong ideas about what we can do in, on a structural, on a system level as well, about how we can tackle these issues. Yes, I do. I mean, I think that um, aside from some of the issues that are, I think, probably quite relevant, relevant and obvious, uh, where we need, do need greater visibility of the staff in senior decision-making roles, uh, particularly around in schools as head teachers, and I think that all, all schools should be very open in their transparency around recruitment and progression. Uh, and I think that individual schools we need institution, should have institutional frameworks that facilitate change, and they, they should be made to address what those outcomes are on a practical level. So what are they going to do to increase the numbers of BME students or staff in senior decision-making roles? And also, um, as I've already mentioned before, a recognition and valuing of diversity within curricula and also the staff makeup. And to understand that diversity values everyone. Mm. It values society. It's important for society. It's, it's especially important if we're interested in a social justice and equity agenda. I think that's really, really important. And I think what's also very important is that we need some kind of institutional change which goes back to governmental initiatives that actually looks at how staff profiles, reviewing staff profiles to identify under and over representation of individuals at particular levels, particular positions, and particular types of contracts that they're on. And finally, I would say, which may seem quite obvious to you or your listeners, is that we need to acknowledge and address institutional racism because a failure to acknowledge results in a failure to act. So if you acknowledge institutional racism and you acknowledge white privilege, then you can, you can address it. And are you hopeful for the future? I mean, you, you mentioned your new uh, book is about you know, post-racism being, being a myth. I mean, do you think we're still making progress or do you think the, the stall that we seem to have made on this is, is, is sort of a chronic problem? Well, two things there. I mean, my book is... I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. My book is actually saying that we've gone backwards mm -hmm. instead of forwards. Uh, I present statistics and evidence to suggest that racism is alive in, in terms of looking at education, schools, higher education, wealth, poverty, who has the highest jobs, um, and health, etc., etc. So I look at all different areas. Um, but I am hopeful, however. I am optimistic because... Even though we live in troubled times globally, I think that the future generations give me hope because I think that younger generations are far more accepting and far more inclusive about diversity in all levels, not just about race, around sexuality, around gender, around age and disability, special educational needs. So. I am hopeful or optimistic that these young people, they are our future, and if they are, have those attitudes of inclusion now, then our hope is that we will have a 
we will live in a society that does value social justice and equity for all groups. Professor Bopal, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Audi de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détails sur Audi.fr.